Well, so far in this series, we've been talking about the 10 marks uh, that I've identified as a healthy church. And let me just give you a quick review. First of all, healthy churches have a foundation. Who's our foundation? Jesus. Our second, healthy churches have effective prayer lives. We spend time in God's in God's presence, having conversations with God about those around us, for those in our lives, about ourselves. Healthy churches recognize who we are, that we haven't arrived yet, that we're in the process of growing. Healthy churches also understand that when God brings discipline into our lives, it's not because he wants to hurt us, but because he wants to what? Grow us. He wants to improve us and make our lives better. And last week we talked about the way healthy churches value their leaders in all different capacities. Now I come to a principle this morning that really shouldn't have to be said. We are a church. It shouldn't be said. But I think we have to cover it just to make sure we got all the bases covered and all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted and all the things that I think we need to grasp in this. And it's this, that a healthy church gets it, that everyone in the world needs to hear the gospel. And that we have a passion for the people who are lost. And, and, and we care about them so much because we understand that a person who does not go from being lost to becoming saved is going to spend an eternity separated from a real living God in a real and ugly place called hell. We don't talk about hell much in church anymore. I find that interesting. I'm probably as guilty as anybody. But I'm convinced that some people would say, well, that talk is is hard-hearted. It's not kind. I am convinced that if we know the answer and we know the solution to life and we don't share it, we are the most unkind people on the planet. Can you imagine going to a doctor who has figured out how to solve every cancer there is, but he won't tell anybody how it works? You'd think, man, he's a bad doctor. A child of God who knows the answers to life won't talk about it Not such a good Christian because we have got the answers. Now, the passage we're going to look at is one that is very familiar. In fact, I've probably in 35 years preached it probably 30 times. It's not like a new passage for me, not like last week, which was brand new for me. But I think it's one that we often misfocus upon, uh, and we misfocus it in this way. We say, well, all he's talking about this is that we need to go, or some would translate it as you go. But I think there's way more to it than that. Don't misunderstand. Jesus' words are a call to go. But they're much more than that. Healthy followers of Jesus, healthy churches understand that. And there's five things that healthy churches do to reveal their passion for the lost. The first one is right there in verse 16. Look at the verse. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And some of you think, hey, that's like a Google Maps telling me how to go somewhere. It's more than that. I believe it's this, is these men are choosing faithful solidarity. They're saying, we're going to stand together. We're going to work together. We're going to walk together. We're going to love together. We're going to care for each other together. We're going to care for the world together. As we enter this passage, we're faced with kind of an interesting development. If you remember, uh, after Jesus was resurrected, he had told his disciples after so many days he would meet them in Galilee. Scholars love to debate, you know, every little thing there is, and they've debated where they met. There was some mountain in Galilee. If you've ever been to the Galilee, you understand there's more than one mountain. In fact, there's lots of mountains in northern Israel, lots of high spots they could have met on. There's a traditional site that they believe it was, but when they heard this challenge to them to go and be there, they were really kind of quaking in their boots going, oh my goodness, Jesus just got arrested. Jesus was crucified. That guy, he's, he's betrayed us. And man, Peter ran off and he didn't, uh, 
we're going to get arrested next and we're going to lose our life. And he's now he's telling us to go somewhere. He wants us to do something. Talk about a wild ride. Men with big, different backgrounds, different abilities, different skills, different passions. But here's what I want you to grasp here. They came together in response to the call of Jesus to go to this unnamed place together to meet him. Now you're going, okay, so what? They jumped in the car. They went down the street to the mountain. Oh, no, no. This was about a 90, 100-mile walk to get to this place. They had to make a commitment together. They walked together. They served together. They camped out together. They fed together. They did all the stuff of life together. And you can imagine they'd get to this place and they'd kind of be tired, which would be unusual, not that unusual. If you walk five or six days in a row, you might be tired too. But understand, here's what they do. They set aside their selfish ambitions. They set aside their pride of being first. You remember just before the Lord's Supper, they had debated who would be first in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, what? Let me wash your feet and show you who's first. And they decided to get rid of their antagonism to one another and said, let's work together faithfully in solidarity. Please understand this. They had to set all that aside. And that's what healthy churches do for the gospel. They say, we're going to set aside the differences that make us different. And we're going to find the things that bring us together. And we're going to celebrate the things that we do uniquely. And we're going to encourage one another. And we're going to walk together. We're going to love each other. And we're going to do the things that we're called to do because we are the hand of God to a community, to a nation, to a world. So you're thinking, man, that's big. Oh, yeah, it's big. God's entrusted the propagation of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel to one group of people. You and me. The church. Now, we haven't read the verse yet, but the church has a primary task, and that's to share the gospel. We're here to light up the world with the light of Christ, to show him the world what they need and how they can find him in this word. So healthy churches choose to say, we're going to work together faithfully in solidarity. Second, they choose proper steps. Look at verse 17. This is kind of an interesting little verse. And when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, look what they do. They do two things. They worshiped him. Anybody say, well, yeah, duh, that's what we ought to do when we see Jesus, right? Is worship him. But do you see the back end of that? But some doubted. Hmm. wonder who that was. Maybe it was Thomas. I don't know. But it was somebody in the group doubting. And here we are in a situation where they, they are choosing now to take the proper steps. You're going, proper steps. What's the proper steps when you encounter Jesus? You worship him and you what? Share your heart. You speak from the heart. These men have traveled 100 miles. They would have been a physically draining trip. They would arrive at the mountain. You might have think, man, we're going to take a day off. We're going to relax. But there's no time for that. What we find here is they are very authentic in the moment. And this is not the first time they've encountered risen Jesus, is it? But let me tell you what. This is probably the most important encounter they had have, have had to date because this is where he's going to give them what we might call their marching orders to say, here's what your life's going to be like from here on. You're going to be the centrifugal force of, of the gospel. You're going, well, what's the, you're going to be the one that shares around. You're going to push around. You're going to share the word. You're going to talk about it. And in preparation for the moment, what they do is get real with God. They go, okay, we're going to worship. But we're also going to say, man, we got some doubts. Do you really think that Thomas can do this? Maybe Peter said, or maybe Peter said, do you think I can do this? You know, I'd love to see the order of service from that worship service, wouldn't you? It's not, it doesn't exist, so you don't have to worry about it. 
But I suspect if we looked at it, we'd go, well, they didn't do anything that we do in worship. They, they did just different stuff. I think that the essence of what they did was this, is what we really should be doing in worship as we come before the King of kings and Lord of lords and we fall in adoration of who He is. He's our God. You see Jesus to worship and to speak openly. I call those right steps, proper steps, to come openly and honestly in the presence of God. Third, they chose, or they choose churches, healthy churches choose willing submission. Look at verse 13. And Jesus came to them and said, Now, whatever y'all want to do, y'all go do it. Y'all reading a different translation, aren't you? Is that what he said? He came to them and said what? Well, if y'all could come to a conclusion at a committee meeting and decide if you'd like to do this, that would be a wonderful idea. Hello? Anybody with me? Well, committees have their places. I'm not criticizing committees, okay? I mean, we've we got to have committee on committee sometimes to figure it all out, right? But here's my point. Jesus comes and says, I've got something for you, and I'm calling you to be willfully submitted to the plan. Here it is. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? To Jesus. Get this. That means you don't have it. I don't have it. The church doesn't have it. Your friends don't have it. Nobody has it. Who has it? Jesus has it. Jesus starts by dealing with what I call the monster in the room. Uh, that's not our deacon body, okay? Hello? And it's sure not the pastor. He's not that scary. The monster in the room is the thing that every one of us struggle with. You're going, what's that? Control. Control. Who's going to be in control of my life? Who's going to be the boss of my life? Who's going to lead... Uh, my life's trajectory from here forward. Who's going to lead me to do the things that I'm supposed to do for the kingdom of God? Who's the boss? Is the main, we might say it in our day. Because we love to live. We love to act. We love to believe. We love to think that we're the ones in control, don't we? But Jesus says, what? All, all, underline that word in your Bible if you don't mind writing in your Bible. All authority is given on heaven and earth. In heaven and on earth has been given to who? To Jesus. He says, I'm the boss. See, the control that we think we have is really a mirage because every one of us has a master that's greater than ourselves. Something that comes into our life. For some of us, it's money. Man, you've had a bad year this last year, haven't you? You're going, what do you mean? Have you not looked at your retirement account balances? I made the mistake this weekend. Oh, of looking. And I said, ooh, I'm glad I got a few years to retirement. But if that's our boss, if that's our master, if that's who we're really serving is our finances, we look at that and we're devastated, right? How about this one? For others, it's physical. You go, oh, man, I want to be puff. I want to be good. I want to be looking. I want to be. Some of you, you've arrived. Well, the rest of us, we're working on it, okay? But here's the thing. We struggle with those things. For still others, it's something else in life. Maybe it's lifting up your family. Maybe it's lifting up your job. Your job is the most important thing in life. Men, we're guilty of that sometimes, aren't we? Everything's about the job, the job, the job. i got to get to work. I gotta, I gotta, oh, my goodness, guys, there's more important things than a job. One commentator said this, Power in the hands of some people is dangerous. But power in the hands of Christ is blessed. 
Oh, let him have all power. Let him do what he will with it, for he cannot for he cannot will anything but that which is right and just and true and good. Hear this. Healthy churches willingly submit to the authority of Jesus in everything. What does he want? What does he want us to be doing? What's it about? By refusing to usurp the authority of Jesus, what we find is this. We're walking in the presence of God. We're listening to his voice. We're moving in the right direction. We're beginning to come in line with who he is. Healthy churches do that because it's not about us. It's about him. Because when we try to run our lives, we miss the big purpose God has for us. So healthy churches choose faithful solidarity. They choose proper steps. They choose willing submission. They also choose passionate surrender. Number 19, verse 19, he says this, Go, it can be translated as you go. That's not the focus here. Go, therefore, and make converts of every nation. Is that what he says? Isn't this, this is kind of, let's dig into this because often we read the Great Commission, which is what this is, and we think, well, he's telling us to go tell the gospel. And he is. But there's more to it than that. Look what he says. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, immerse them, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We come to the command to you and me, those of us who profess to follow Jesus, of his command here. He says, get with it. This is not some secret command reserved for the select few who have the gift of evangelism. I've heard people say that before. They go, oh, but pastor, I don't have the gift of evangelism because I don't have to tell the gospel. Wrong! This is not for those of you who have the gift of of the evangelism. You need to go. He's telling this to the entire disciple body, every single one of them. Some of them were introverts, some of them were extroverts. Some of them were good at talking, some were not. Some were good at sticking their foot in their mouths, and some were not. Okay? Peter was good at that. He's saying to every single one of us, go, therefore. I remember an old evangelist came to our church when I was a kid, and he would say this over and over. It still rings in my head. In fact, it wakes me up at night sometimes with nightmares. He'd say, you got to go tell or they're going to go to hell. Who was that? Freddie Freddie Gage. Any of you remember Freddie Gage? That was his line. Boy, it's catchy, isn't it? But you know what? There's a truth in that. Don't misunderstand. If we don't go tell those around us the good news of Jesus and they never hear it and never receive him and never give their lives to Christ, where are they going, my friends? To hell, okay? Let's don't shy away from that. But there's more to it than that. You know, well, I'll, just, y'all, I'll bring them to church and y'all can tell them about it. Okay, great. How are you going to get them here? We've got to have that life out there, okay? He would tell them. Let me share a secret I've learned. He was absolutely correct, but it's incomplete thought. Because if the extent of our caring for the souls of people is for them to get fire insurance without helping them to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, have we really done them a service? Now, you'd probably say, well, but they're going to go to heaven when they die. Yeah, but they're going to be miserable until they do. I think the most miserable person on planet earth is the person who's trusted Christ and has never grown in Christ. Because the Spirit of God's in them going, no, 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 every time they do something wrong. We're supposed to be growing in Christ. We're supposed to what? Make disciples. 
but, 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 but pastor, that's hard work. It is. It means sitting down with people, caring for them, loving them, walking with them, praying with them, praying for them, going after them when they wander off like sheep do. But stop for a minute to consider the people to whom Jesus was speaking. Listen to this list. Who was it to go out of that first band of disciples, another writer said? He said, it was Peter. We know about Peter. He was rash and headstrong. It was John, who sometimes wishes to call fire from heaven to destroy men. It was Philip, with whom the Savior has been so long, and yet he has not known him. It is Thomas, who must put his finger into the print of the nails, or he will not believe. And yet the Master says to them all, Go ye, all power is given unto me. Therefore go ye, you who are as good as my purpose as anybody else would be. There's no power in you, I know. All that power is in me, so go. These men were at heart, just like us, agitators who can't get anything right. And yet, oh, get this church, we are the ones, we are the ones who have been blessed with the challenge and the call and the commitment to be the voice of God to a nation, to a neighbor. To a friend, to a coworker. You go, oh, I don't know if I want that job. Well, when you accepted Jesus, you got that job. It's just part of it. We are the ones who are called to go tell. We are the ones who not only have to go tell and lead them to Christ, but then to go, okay, why don't you come to a Bible study group with me? Come with me. Why don't you come and sit with me in worship? Why don't you come and be a part of a fellowship of people who, man, they're not, they're really messed up like all of us are, but they're great folks to be around. I call that my church. And then he gives them the first big step. You know what it was, don't you? To baptize them. Literally, y'all know that word means to immerse. That's why we do baptism the way we do. Not because we think it's better that way, but because we think it's more biblical that way. And we find this ancient formula for baptism. Do you realize that people have been now baptized for about 2,000 years in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? It hadn't changed. So we choose this passionate surrender to God. And then we choose holy significance. Look at verse 20. He says this, teaching them to observe some of what I've commanded you. One commentator said this, this passage is full of all. There's three different ones in there. All, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He reread an explicit instruction that we have a responsibility to not just share the gospel, which many of us struggle to do in the first place, but then once we share the gospel and they trust Christ, we're supposed to walk with them through the next step or whatever that is in their life to be there, to lead them to significance. Up to this point, there has only been one teacher. Do You know that, don't you? Who's been the teacher up to this point? Jesus. But now he says, guess who gets to be a teacher? You're going, oh, I don't want the job of teacher. He's not talking about a school teacher. He's not talking about a Sunday school teacher. He's not talking about a formal position. What he's talking about is how your life and my life teaches others about the importance of Christ in our lives. 
how we speak, how we live, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we treat our, our children, how we treat our spouses, how we treat the, the garbage collector, how we treat the person at the register that's not any there anymore at Walmart. You've got to treat yourself good there, right? But when you do speak to someone like that, See, healthy churches understand the, the significance of communicating the gospel every place, every time. The other day, Chris and I went uh, to Texarkana. Poor Chris. He rode in the car with me. He survived. But we had to go pick up some stuff, and we stopped it. Can I say the name of the church? Lowe's, yeah. And we were looking for clips for a shelf. And then we had a hospital visit to make, some other things. And we got to talking to this lady trying to find these little clips because I don't know where clips are. I don't know where anything is in Lowe's if you've been in there, right? You've got to ask somebody and you've got to hunt somebody down to find and ask the question. But anyway, we get to talking to her. You know that we got finished and she didn't know who I was. She thought I was a, a judge. She thought I was a judge. I'm thinking, oh, here come the judge. Well, I'm not the judge. She, but she didn't know what I was. And I said, she said, what would you pray for me? And I said, you know what? Let's pray for you right there. In the aisle at Lowe's, we prayed for that lady. I didn't go through the gospel salvation plan with her. I didn't teach her, you know, the the four laws, spiritual laws. I didn't talk about the steps of Christ. We just prayed for her and invited her to come to watch online if she can. Maybe if you're watching today, hi. Uh, And just in life. I finally told her I was a pastor of the church. She goes, really? I go, thanks. I said, that's the way most people at church think too. It's okay. Healthy churches are filled with people sold out to the teaching and truth of Jesus and are willing to share it wherever they are. We're going to apply this in a minute and you're thinking, oh, I could never do that. I could never pray for somebody at Lowe's. I got to tell you, it's a whole lot easier to pray for them there than going down the freeway. Three things I want you to see, and we'll be done. First of all, I want you to see this, is the relation, in relation to a healthy church is this. We, healthy churches have a universal love, love for lost people. We passionately love lost people. We love people. You know, sometimes I think we don't like people, much less love people. Now, here's a couple of things it means. We've got to believe something. You ready? We've got to believe and I think we've forgotten this. We've got to believe that people without Jesus are lost. Do you know what I mean by that? We go, oh, well, everybody's pretty good. Everybody's a nice person. Well, you know what? There's a lot of nice people going to be burning in hell someday. You go, oh, Patrick, that's not very loving. Oh, but it's the truth. We've got to love people. We've got to believe that they're lost, that people without Jesus need a Savior. It seems to me the Bible is crystal clear that anyone who has never answered the call of God are on a road to perdition. You're going, well, that's not nice. No, that's the point. It's not nice. But we get to be the ones to tell them the good news. We get to be the ones a part of that process of leading them from lost to saved. You're going, you mean I've got to do it all? Hang in there. Don't get too far down the road on me. They also believe this. We believe about, law, about people is that with, if you come to know Jesus, he's going to change the trajectory of your life. Now catch that. You mean he's going to make everything perfect. I did not say everything would be perfect. I said he would change the trajectory of your life. 
There's a difference. Does that mean everything's going to be immediately perfect? Probably not. It does mean that the life's headed in a new direction. And healthy churches believe that the gospel relieved, released in a life changes their lives, makes them a better person. And then another thought about this passionate love is this. We're willing to risk everything to share the gospel. You know, there's a risk that comes involved in sharing your love for Jesus with others. What do you mean? Some people will think you're nuts. Some people will reject you. Some people will say, man, that guy's crazy. She's nuts. I can't believe she talked about Jesus in public. Oh, my goodness, she's crazy. Every time we share the good news, we put our reputation and our relationship on the line. You go, but I don't want them to think bad of me. What's more important, them thinking bad of you or them separated from God for eternity? Mm. In many ways, we have to become, we become most like Jesus. We step out of that comfort zone and speak a good word about God's forgiveness. Let me draw your attention to what Jesus said about his life when he was talking with Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? We little man, we little man was he. I won't sing today. I told you I wouldn't. He told Zacchaeus why Jesus came, why Jesus was there. He said this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I mean, I don't have to do it. No, but being like Jesus means we do stuff that Jesus does. That means we have to go out and seek and try to save the lost. You can't save them, but you can speak the truth into them and let God save them. The entire reason Jesus came was to live a perfect life, die a cruel cross, rise the third day to make possible not a way, but the way for people to know God. And we're the voice. We're the lives. We're the people. Healthy churches understand that. Second, we need to adopt a big picture mindset. You're going, what's that? It simply means this. We grab the truth that we are not responsible for whether a person answers in faith or not. Sometimes we go, well, if I share my faith and they reject it, oh, what, I messed up. Let me tell you what. You may share your faith a hundred times and nobody gives their heart to Christ. We shared a few weeks ago about a missionary in India that went seven years and nobody trusted Christ. Big picture mindset says this, I am not responsible if they accept Christ or not. I am merely responsible for faithfully telling what God has done in my life and when the opportunity comes up, how to find a relationship with him. Some of us are walking around with this big old burden of guilt going, I got to do it all. I got to take care. No, you don't. We got someone greater than us who lives within us called the Holy Spirit at work. He will take care of all the results, guys. He will take care of the details. Here's what we might say in our day. Well, that's above my pay grade. You know what? I'm not responsible whether you respond to Christ or not. I'm responsible to be faithful to share the gospel every chance I get in whatever way I can. Because it's God is the one who calls people to respond. And it's up to the person to say yes or no. You know, I can't make anyone follow Jesus. 
nor would I want to. Because if we impose it on their lives, we're missing it. I'm reminded of Jesus' word when he spoke about it, being part of the vine. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. There's something of a mystery here that you're going, well, but I shared my faith and nobody answered. I shared my faith and nobody responded. They said, no, no, no. Years ago, there was a survey, a study done that it takes 46 or 8 times of sharing the gospel for the, on average before someone responds to Christ. We, for some reason, we all want to be number 48. I want to be the one that's there when they trust Christ. Why? They're not trusting you. They're trusting Christ. You may be number three in the list, and you had a part in the process of sharing the gospel. You helped move them along the road, down the road to Christ. When we take on this big picture mindset, we understand we're, not, we're our only responsible till, to tell the old, old story. We're not responsible for the outcome. Healthy churches don't take on guilt of those who reject Christ. We just continue to faithfully share and share and share. And God brings the increase in his time. Jesus said, when I be lifted up, men and women will be drawn to me. Our job is to lift him up. And then third, we've got to trust that God empowers us. Healthy churches live with a deep abiding trust that says this, God, you're the one who's empowering us. You know, most of us as humans, we like to find the, the secret sauce or the magic bullet if we could. But can I tell you something? Sharing the gospel, as one writer said many, many years ago, is simply one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. We're just talking about what's happened. Healthy churches refuse to buy into the notion that we've got to have this particular program or this particular method to reach people. And I've said it before and I'll say it again probably the rest of my time in serving churches. It's this, methods change, but the message must never change. We do things in church today that we never did when I was a kid, and that's okay. We may do things in the next year that maybe look different. It's okay. As long as we're not compromising the truth of the gospel. The message is simply this. God loves sinners and he's made the way for us to receive forgiveness, new life, and eternity. That message cannot change. We accomplish this when we say with Paul, for God gave us a spirit not of what? Not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You and I have been empowered by the Holy of Holies to do what we're called to do. What a mighty God we serve. We get to tell people about the Lord. You probably think, well, I don't know if I know how to do that. Sometimes it's just a positive word. You walk into a place and you get to talking to somebody and say, man, I was at a church yesterday and my Sunday school teacher was talking about this and man, it made such a difference in my life. That in itself is a witness. You think, well, I didn't walk them through the Roman road. It's okay. It's another step along the way. Another step in the process, sharing the gospel, speaking about the good news. And that leads me to the question, have you come to the place where you've trusted Christ? See, it's hard to talk about something you don't have. Do you know Jesus? Maybe you need to make that decision today. Maybe you need to trust Christ personally. Maybe you need to make a public stand for him. Maybe you need to do whatever God's telling you to do, but we want to give you the opportunity to do that at this moment. Father God, we come before you asking your blessing
on these moments ahead. Father, sometimes we think this is the time that we close our Bibles and get ready to go to lunch. God, this is the moment when we decide if we're going to respond to what you're telling us to do or not. For some, it's a decision to trust Jesus by crying out, acknowledging our sinfulness and asking him to come into our lives. For others, it's a decision that says, I need to make a public stand to become part of a fellowship because I am trusted in Christ. Father, maybe there's other decisions that need to be made in these moments. We pray your hand to be free in these times. In Jesus' name.